Good morning, good morning. Welcome to another episode of the Early Birds Podcast. And today, we have a special, special guest, CEO of AIM, good friend of mine, Katie Sweeney. How are you doing today? Hello, I'm doing great. I've got coffee. I'm like, I'm getting used to this Michigan weather. It's like finally (laughs) starting to settle in. I'm here enough. I'm starting to... We're figuring it out. We're doing good. It's 6.52 in the morning, and we're here ready to go, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed to take on the day. You came in from? Uh, Where did I come from this time? I came from D.C. this time. I forget sometimes, honestly, what city I'm in when I wake up in the morning because I'm on a plane a lot. I would also like to say I get credit for being here at 5.50, not just 6.50. I agree. I was here for the very, very early part of the morning. And I'm still caffeinated. I have clean hair. Like it's a it's a morning so far. We're it really, really getting it really it going. Is. Yeah. It really is. And we had another guest prior to it and, and you patiently waiting, you know, for <laughs> it. So yes, fair enough. She's been here over an hour before that, ready to go. This is not I didn't roll in at seven AM. Nope. I was here early. She was. She was. No, that's a fair point to make. And you know, for those that, that don't know, um, Katie has been tasked with a incredibly difficult task. Uh, you get to deal with all the fun brokers we across the country yeah. who all have i assume uh type a personalities a lot of ideas and, and a, a lot, lot of, of ideas and a yeah. lot of, so i want to touch base into that i want to get into the nitty-gritty of of basically your background how you got to the role that you're in yeah how you manage and deal with all these people so i want to kind of start a little earlier okay. and where the journey began for you and how the hell did you manage to get into the mortgage <laughs> side of the industry? Honestly, great question. Mm-hmm. I still have to remind myself sometimes. Um, I actually started when I went to college. I mean, my whole life growing up, I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. That was the plan. I like Rusty Greer and Pudge Rodriguez were my hero when I was little. Like I've been a Rangers fan since I was three, a Cowboys fan since I was five. Like that is all I did. I was an only child for eight and a half years, and so my dad and I just watched sports. Like. Bob Costas was who I was going to become, right? Like every year watching the Olympics obsessively when they were on. Um, And I actually had a friend in elementary school whose dad was a local sports broadcaster. And so I got to see him up close and see how things worked. Um, And so when I went to school, my intention through and through was to be a sports broadcaster. That's what I was going to do. I had no interest in getting into the business side of things. I wanted to be a sideline reporter or an analyst. That's that was the plan. And as I started to learn more about that industry, I became less excited about working in it um, because it. You know, I I get the notion that you can say, like, it's not work if you're doing what you love, but there's also a component of taking something you love and turning it into work, and then you don't love it as much anymore. Mm. And you miss a lot of the, there's some mystique and intrigue around sports, and it's like, you don't really love, the business side isn't sexy, and it, it makes it a lot less appealing to be a fan when you start to get to know certain people and who those players are off the field or off the court or what those teams look like behind the scenes or in the locker room, and it's just not as fun anymore. And I remember my dad sitting me down. Um, I was working at a local news station in Texas over the summer, and it happened to be the summer that the Mavericks won the NBA championship and the Rangers were in their second World Series run. So that's what I was covering. I was like it, the mecca of covering sports in my hometown, the teams that I had watched my entire life. And I just wasn't loving it. And I was starting to see these guy these athletes that I had so much respect for and coaches that I had so much respect for that I started to lose a lot of that respect because you see who they are as people and my dad looked at me and he was like all right Katie here's the deal 
you can either work in sports for the rest of your life, which is fine, and you'll have a decent career, you've got a good head start so far, uh, but you're never going to be able to afford to just buy a ticket and go to the game. Everything going forward, sports are just, that's going to be your job, and you may not love the sports part of it anymore if your focus is on the business and the broadcasting. And he was like, or you could get into the business side of the world get a real job is, you know, as he said, <laughs> and then you could buy whatever ticket you want and you can go to whatever game you want. You don't have to worry about it. And I was like, all right, you know what? Maybe I'll do that. So I added a business major. I had a psych minor. I had a sports broadcasting major. I did all this stuff in college. I'm like, I'm going to study everything that I can possibly get my hands on because I was paying a crap ton of money to go to that school and we didn't have a cap on the number of hours that you could take. So I just loaded up. I was taking 22, 24 hours a semester, sometimes more. I took classes all summer. Um, and so when I graduated, I went into the healthcare space initially because that was the industry that I was familiar with. My dad had been in that space his entire career. And so I knew a lot of the jargon that went along with it um, and really started focusing on behavioral profiling. That was the how do you take information and start to figure out how to build profiles about people in the way that they interact digitally. Right. There's a face to face component of a person, but there are trends that you can track and things that you can study about how people engage online. And so I did that at a few different businesses, a startup technology company and outsourced anesthesia group. Um, and it got to the point where I was like, I just healthcare is so stagnant and it's been the same industry for so long. And to make a difference in that industry, you got to be a power player. And there were a lot of things that I was seeing in people who were in control that I just didn't love. And I was like, I don't know. my passion's not working in the healthcare industry. Mm -hmm. Like, it's great. And I fully respect people who do. But that was just not the thing that was going to like get me up at 5 a.m. to come do a podcast, you yep. know? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I had a friend who I had worked with at one of those companies who had a friend of a friend, something kind of a random connection for a job that was an open position at um, a lender that was in Texas at the time called Pacific Union Financial. They eventually sold. But back then I went and I interviewed for the job and the CMO, um, the chief marketing officer, pulled me aside and he was like, look, here's the deal. You're very qualified, but like you're going to hate this job. This, what, this is like a, a paper pusher. You're not going to like it. So I have a proposal. I'll create this new job for you in our consumer direct division. We only have one person working consumer direct marketing right now. You can train under her. She'll teach you the ropes. She'll teach you the mortgage space. Do you want to do that? You, I, know, I was like, numbers, math. Yeah, I'm in. Yes, I love it. It was still in the digital space. It was doing a lot of what I had done previously. Well, fast forward, she quit six weeks after I started. And um, the my boss, Jim, was like, you know what? I'll let you sit in on these interviews for people that, were, that are going to come in and essentially be your boss, the director of the division, which was very nice of him. He did not have to do that. And I sat in on three or four of them. And I was like, I'm not going to learn jack shit from these people. Like, I can't do... They're not going to teach me anything. I'm going to stall out. And there's one thing that's been consistent about me my entire life. I get bored very easily. <laughs> very easily. Yeah. I'm like, that's just not, I, my attention span is not that long. I need to be learning or growing or doing or building. I am, I am not the person that can just like clock in, clock out, go on with my day. It's just, I don't function that way. And so I went to him and I said, I'll make you a deal. You don't have to give me a raise. You don't have to give me a promotion. Give me three months, give me 90 days to learn this job and to earn the job that you're trying to fill right now. And if in 90 days I haven't done it or you don't feel confident in me taking the division over completely, 
I will, you can hire whoever you want. I'll stay for a year. I'll work with that. I'm not going to bail on you. Just give me 90 days. And he was like, you know what? Sure. Why not? I was 26 at the time. Um, fast forward, I wound up getting the job. I took the division over. We went from, gosh, we were probably at 30 or 40 loan officers at the time. We went to well over 100 in the portfolio retention and new customer acquisition divisions in the CD team over there at Puff. Um, I started doing a lot of digital deployments that I was really interested in, bringing kind of old stuff that I'd done in healthcare and applying it to the mortgage world because they really are similar. They're highly mm -hmm. regulated. They're like very important decisions that people don't make very many times throughout their lifetime. And so the way that you approach it and how you communicate with people and how they search for informa information online is pretty similar. Um, and that's how I started learning the industry. I just was chipping away at like, I don't necessarily know what these mortgage terms are, but I can see through our search tools what people are looking for and what information they're trying to find. And I know how to put a formula together, right? You can do lead aggregation and organic lead search. and all, Like we can get into that space. You don't have to know the industry so much as you have to be able to identify the trends. And that's what we built it off of. Eventually, the um, head of technology plucked me out of marketing and we built a new division called the front end solution. So I was the business liaison working on product development for Pacific Union and then that's where I got recruited over to Arrive. I was the fifth employee at Arrive to basically build the same thing at Arrive that I had built in-house at Pacific Union. We used a lot of the same technology sets, so there was some direct application. Um, I was at Arrive for a year, and there was an opportunity to come to AIM and build the strategy. And the initial goal when I came over was to be behind the scenes. I am a strategist at my core. I don't need to be on stage anywhere. I don't need to be out talking to people. I'm much more comfortable sitting back and studying how people behave and what they're looking for and what their triggers are that are going to get them to make decisions and then finding ways to apply that to move the business forward. Um, that lasted about nine months before our uh, previous leader uh, stepped down and took a different position. And so I stepped into an interim role for about six months, got all of our partners on board to keep me around. And I've been doing it for the last couple of years. This, so I bet you guys didn't know that. <laughs> uh, and I, I'm looking over there at our, our marketing guy, the, the Rami, the head of you know our videography, marketing, everything here. And I saw him cheering when you were talking about the sports <laughs> side, because that's something he's so passionate about. But to, to see you take that journey and to turn it into this, and I, I saw his face too. He's sitting there. He was doing this. You know, he was like so in tune into the, <laughs> the camera. I was laughing a little bit over there because he's so dialed in. But um, I got so many questions, Hit and me. I'm gonna start in a few different places. But where where I want to start first is the first place I want to start is when you when you talked to I believe Jim. You yep. said about 90 days to fill that role. Yep. So. Uh, now, this is for any young pe people in general, but I want to specifically talk about young women in general yeah. who are growing into that business space. Where on earth did that <laughs> confidence come from for you to go, okay, yeah, I don't know how to do that. I just need 90 days. I'm going to go to the, the, the owner and I'm going to say, Jim, 90 days, all I'm asking for, no raise, no promotion, no nothing. Give me a shot to earn that job. Yeah. Where on earth is that established? And then where do you tell young people in general but specifically young women, like yeah. how do they bring that confidence forward? I'll be very honest. It was so manufactured at the time. I was shaking in my boots yeah. in that meeting. <laughs> I like, that's the the epitome of you got to fake it till you make it. But I, you know, I, the reason I love sports so much, I was an athlete as well. I played sports my entire life. I was every sport you could imagine under the sun. Some I was great at, some I was terrible at. Um, but to make a team or to earn a spot 
in whatever program you're trying to be in, you have to literally shoot your shot as a basketball player. You literally have to do it at some point. You just have to go out and earn it. And I, I, this will shock a lot of people. I am very much an introvert. I always have been, but even more so when I was younger. And I think a lot of that came from a lack of confidence in finding like, what is my hook? What's the one thing that I'm great at that I can build off of? And I grew up in an area surrounded by people that are incredibly successful. I, I, I'm obsessed with my family. I had a great childhood. I love the way that I grew up and the people that I have around me. But the people who I went to high school with, people who I went to college with, like I was going to school with diplomats, kids and people who had been, you know, running things and building things their entire lives. And I was like, the hell am I? You want to talk about imposter syndrome? Like, what am I doing here? Why? Like, how did I even get into this college? What? How am I going to prove to people when I get out? And I ping ponged around so much and I never had an industry that I felt like that's my thing like that. Like I love mortgages. I have never woken up in my life and said, I love mortgages. Me neither. Right. Like it's that's not the thing. But I learned very quickly when I got out of school, my thing was learning. Like that's the thing that keeps me interested. It always has been for me to not be bored. I have to be learning something. But I also had to get to the point where I was confident enough to say like, I can learn anything. There's not, there isn't a problem that you can put in front of me that I can't figure out. That's my thing. I'm a problem solver. I, I'm not going to be the best loan officer. I'm not going to be the best accountant. I'm not going to be the best marketer. I'm not going to be the best at any of those things because there's not a single one of those skills that I'm so obsessed with that I have to dive in a million percent. I am obsessed with solving problems. And so the problem that was sitting in front of me at the time was, I don't want to work for somebody that I can't learn from because I know I'm going to get bored. How do I solve that problem? I learn the job. That's how you solve it. There's just it's sometimes not sometimes almost always the answer to a problem is very simple. You just have to be willing to accept what it is and move forward and make a decision on it. And so um, I think it helped that Jim was also not a mortgage person. He had come from, I think, Match.com. So he had a very digital background and he was trying to learn the industry as well. So there was a little bit of the like, hey, like we're in this together. Let's figure this out. Like if you're figuring out, so can I. I can do it too. Um, and honestly, I think for him, he was like, I, what do I have to lose? I can't find somebody that I want anyway. Um, and I, I was put through the ringer in those first couple of months. I got thrown into meetings. At the time, I felt like it was a disadvantage because I got thrown into meetings with the entire executive team. They were called, um, what do we call them? BRMs, business review meetings, I think is what they were. And they were monthly meetings that went, I mean, hundreds of papers deep in these books, number by number by number, line by line for each channel of the business. And for marketing, you're, well, for Consumer Direct, right? I was hyper-focused on that one. Well, there's a lot of numbers in the Consumer Direct world. And I would be sitting in those meetings and they would throw questions out and he would just look at me and be like, what's the answer? And I had to know what I was talking about when I walked in there. And at the time I was like, damn it, I'm being set up to fail. That wasn't it at all. Mm -mm. It was the best opportunity in the world, not just to prove to the people at the table that I should be there, but to prove to myself that I knew what I was doing. Right. I mean, that's how do you learn? Right. You have to be able to test yourself and quiz yourself along the way. Um, and it it was such a blessing at the time. I, again, didn't realize it until much later, but I became very skilled very quickly at navigating the political hotbed that 
executive meetings can be, right? Especially with a team that there are 30 people in there, everyone with their own agenda, their own opinion, their own, like trying to get the attention of the CEO and how they were going to push their initiative forward. And a lot of times that means undercutting other initiatives. And in that hyper corporate world, if you can navigate those landmines, you can navigate a lot else outside of the boardroom. Um, And so it worked out well. I would just say like, you just got to own it, even if you're not ready for it. Like you have to have confidence in whatever the sk- confidence and whatever the skill is that you love. And if that's problem solving, great. Be a great problem solver. Find problems before they exist and find a way to put solutions together. Don't just point them out. Fix them. If you want to be a great marketer, great. Own the fact that you're a great marketer and lean all the way into it. But you have to be willing to lean in. Man, it's that com- you got me fired up. It's that confidence <laughs> piece. You know, one of my, my mentors, he taught me, you talked about like consequences. He yeah. talked about decisions and you talked about like knowing who you are. And he used to say, he said, he'd always tell me, he said, John, decisions aren't hard. It's the consequences you're thinking about, which make it hard. Exactly. And when I heard that him say that, I'm like, oh my God, that's true. Like, I know what I want. Yep. I know where I want to be. Do you I'm actually want to do yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> but I'm afraid to at- tell somebody about yep. it. I'm afraid to put myself out there. And you yep. weren't. You said, you know, forget it. I'm good. I'm going to do this and propel forward. Um, I want to move forward a little bit, and then I yeah. want to take it back, and I'll kind of walk you through why. So right now, with you leading uh, all of AIM, yep. uh, we have how many brokers underneath the, the AIM umbrella right now, roughly uh, members? 65,000 or so. So you have all these people, and and by the way, uh, you you're running this company at a, a, a very young age, yep. uh, along with myself. You and I share that yep. commonality and similarities. Yep. Uh, you're in front of way more people even than I am, and I'm getting pulled in so many directions. So I assume <laughs> you get pulled in even more directions. It's a lot. Where do you? And this is so important. And I'm learning more and more. How do you one create the boundaries with people? Yeah. Because everybody wants what they think is the thing that they need to do, right? They're like, "This has to be done next," and it's like, "All right, you have done no research, you have no idea, but you can't say that. You gotta, you gotta make yeah. sure you're playing the game the right way." And because people, they're, they are at the end of the day, you know, the broker space is incredible. It helps fund so much of what we do. Absolutely yeah. love everybody. You know, that's part of the channel. But sometimes there's a little bit of that conflict and people trying to pull you. And then two. How do you know, you know, even with, with me, like I was reaching out like super early on just to get in front of you. How do you know who to trust and, yeah. and stay in front of those people that you can trust? And I'm hoping you trust me at this point, I, yeah, right? Obviously, yes. but I, I'd assume you do. But how do you do both of those? Like manage the expectations, create those boundaries. And then on top of that, figuring out who you can trust when everyone's trying to get a hold of you. Yeah. So I think the boundary part is interesting. And I'll be honest, I'm still figuring that out. Mm-hmm. I certainly don't have that down pat. So don't say, I mean, I, you're talking to somebody who traveled like 320 days last year. Like I clearly have not figured out how to set boundaries for my personal life as well. Um, but I really have started to adopt this notion the last year, year and a half specifically that like nobody is entitled to my time, right? You can mm-hmm. earn it but you're not entitled to it. And there's a level, I definitely operate in the space of mutual respect. And if I feel like you are respecting me and my time, then I'm going to respect yours back. Um, and hope that the, the same applies the other direction. Um, it's a lot easier for me to create boundaries with people who don't respect other people because then it's a very like cut and dry like look man this isn't going to work like you can go talk to somebody else about whatever idea that you have but if you're not going to do it in a respectful manner we don't need to have the conversation and 
I think there's something really meaningful about respectful discourse and having people around you who have really different ideas and different opinions because our our motto on the team, my the best idea wins. I don't care where it comes from. I don't care who came up with it. I don't care if it was somebody who works at AIM, if it was a broker, if it was a lender partner, if it was some random person walking down the street who pitched an idea that I heard and found a way to apply it to the mortgage space. Doesn't matter. Best idea wins. But you have to be able to have those conversations in a respectful way. And if I'm telling you, hey, like, I'd love to hear what you have to talk about. Can you send me an email? Will you fill this out? A lot of times boundaries create themselves when there's a second step that you require somebody to go Ooh, through. It's so good. You know, yeah. like it's that, hey, I yeah, John, you've got an idea. Awesome. Send it over. Here are the things that I need to know. Once you send that to me, we can set up a call. Well, nine times out of 10, I, go, I never get the email. So if I don't get the email, I'm not setting up the phone call because I don't have a reason to yet. You're not entitled to my time. There are a lot of people who want it and you struggle with the same thing. There are tons of people pulling on you from every direction, but you have to prioritize things because at the end of the day, while I want to talk to everyone and I want to hear everyone's ideas, my responsibility is also to the organization and to make sure that we continue to move forward. And I can't help move us forward if I'm constantly distracted by things that haven't been thought out. So if we can put something together and there's even a shell of a plan, give me an outline. What's the goal? How do you want to do it? What do you need from us to make it happen? Who's it going to help? If you can answer those questions for me. I'll take a phone call with just about anybody. But most of the time, people don't want to do that work. They just want to toss ideas out and then not actually follow through with helping put a plan together. And it it makes it very easy to eventually start to say, all right, yeah, whenever you're ready, send it over. That is so good. And, and the, for multiple reasons, and, and you know, I was thinking, it's so funny. So we created, uh, my admin and I, she's amazing, my, my partner, business partner, incredible person. So she created a form called like the Meet with John form. Yeah, yes, and, we have like, one she'll, now too. Yeah, and she'll send it over when people reach out and she's like, please fill this out. And you're you're so right. Like when we added that extra step, the amount of meetings that I don't have anymore because exactly. of that one step, because someone's not, you know, I you want my time, no problem. Because you're right. I, I do want to give time to people. It's not that deserve it, but it's more so that, to your point, that have really thought out. Yes. And it's like, if you have an idea, there's so many ideas. The execution piece and then who can execute and who can't. Yep. What a fascinating concept that people don't understand and still learn. Like you said, we're still learning. You just talked about traveling 320 days last year. Yeah, that was a lot. Um, Tie into that for a second. The the mental health aspect of it, right? And you traveling. And then I'll talk about DC here in a second because- you know, your journey's in, it's insane. I mean, in the last 10 years, <laughs> like look where you were and then now oh, you're on wild. you're on DC Capitol Hill, yeah. like sitting there Completely talking to Congress. Wild. Yeah. Um, but but what's the mental health like for you when it comes to like, okay, I gotta be here next week, I gotta be here this week, I got this meeting on this day, I gotta travel over here, I, I can't, if my flight gets delayed, I gotta now plant. So all of this is is your learning. Yeah. What does that do to your psyche? How are you coping with it? And then how are you taking it and like, okay, this is an opportunity for me to continue to grow and push the agenda for the broker space forward? Yeah, that's a hard, it's a really hard balance. And some of it comes back to kind of that trust conversation that you had mentioned previously. You have to find people that you can depend on really quickly or this job will take its toll. I remember taking this job and there were so many people that said like, look, three years and you are going to be burnt out. There is no way to stay the CEO and the chairman of a trade organization like this for more than three years. And a lot of the things that make our group great are also the things that create challenges. So most trade organizations, your membership is a company, right? So there's one person, John represents Nextdoor Lending. I have a relationship with you. You make Nextdoor a member. That's it. 
right? Well, we don't operate that way. John can be a member. Rami can be a member. Natter can be a member. Doug can be a member. Every single person, everything that we do is at the individual level, which means our engagement and the passion is really strong because every one of those 60 plus thousand people said, I want to be a member. They're interested in what we're doing as opposed to having one person at the company who cares and 200 who don't give a crap that are listed as members, but they're not really doing anything. Um, that's awesome when it comes to pushing a lot of our initiatives forward because they're individual people, their voters, their pe- like their moms, dads, neighbors, friends, people that are in the community, not just businesses that are out there. Um, and that's great. But that also means there are a lot of people tugging on you and it can be really difficult to figure out who you trust, who you don't trust. And there are a lot of requests to push the programs forward for every single person. And that like we only have 30 full time people, right? We have 60 plus thousand members. We were just talking about this the other day. Our operating budget is less than 10% of the MBA's overall operating budget, but we own 25% of the market. Wow. Okay, well, how, like, that's the, there's, we've got a lot of very efficient processes in place to be able to operate at the level that we do, that we've built out. Um, but it does, it takes a toll on your brain. And I think people who have been, I tend to believe that people who've been athletes are used to more rigorous training when it comes to not just physical health, but mental health as well, because there's a lot of pressure that you put on yourself, especially if you're an an athlete at a high level. I mean, I was playing on the Nike circuit when I was in high school. Like I was competing across the country regularly all the time. I got used to being on the road and still having to operate in a space that allowed you to have whatever routines that you have. But I was so type A, John, before. Like when I was younger, you could not have found a more type A child. Like my parents will tell you that all day long. I have really have to like, I've had to like let go and just say like the things that I can't control are the things that I can't control. I can't get stressed out about them. But more than that, I can't get distracted by them. And I think when you start recategorizing stress as distraction, it becomes a little bit easier to put in a separate bucket and say, all right, I don't love this situation. I'm not feeling great about it, but that's creating distractions from my goals and the things that I'm trying to get done. So stress isn't stress to me. Stress is a distraction and chaos is a distraction. And delays and flights and what those are distractions those are things that i can't manage i can't mitigate them they are what they are i need to deal with them but i can't let that get in the way of what we're trying to do and coming out of COVID, i mean i stepped into the interim role in 2020 yep. in july of 2020 right Wild. like most of the country was still completely shut down texas was not where i'm from yeah. at, but like everywhere else was totally closed so i didn't actually get in front of our audience until september of 2021 at the first fuse that we did live again we had a virtual fuse in 2020 um, and it was great but people it only reached people who already knew who we were mm-hmm. right i wasn't actually on a stage in front of people formally introducing myself as the person running the group um quite frankly, running a group that people thought was going to flounder and eventually dissipate and completely go away. We spent a year stabilizing and figuring out how to get our feet underneath us again and what direction we wanted the group to go moving forward because it, my leadership style is very different than uh, everybody's leadership style is different. And I'm not out here trying to emulate the person that was in this role before me. He was great and he did great things, but I'm not him. And so I had to really figure out what do I want that to be? And so going into 2021, nobody knew who I was. So 2022 was pound the pavement, get out to everybody, meet everybody, see everybody, 
But in doing that, you have to figure out how to change your expectations around what you do day to day. And I've gotten very good at operating within the chaos, right? The eye of the storm is where I'm probably the most comfortable because I love to solve problems. So it works for me. Um, but I had to find people really early on that I trusted that I could put around me that are experts in what they do so that I don't have to be that expert to everybody. And we put the leadership team in play, our member leaders, for a purpose, right? They're not just there because they're beautiful and they're not kind and they're successful and they're great people. They're there because the six of them all have an expertise that I don't have or a background that I don't have or a perspective that I don't have. That's what makes us great. That also means that I have six people who I trust implicitly. They know everything about me. They know what I'm worried about, what I'm not worried about, where we're focused, where we're headed, what we're building. Um, And that was, it's really critical to find those people. I couldn't tell you how to figure out who to trust, but I can tell you that you just kind of know, right? Like people show themselves over time. Everybody's got an agenda. Everyone has intentions that are going to back up what they're trying to push forward. That's not a bad thing. I think a lot of times we it's, when you hear the term like, well, everyone's got an agenda, it sounds really negative. Like they're trying it's to, con- it's not bad. It just means they know Especially what they want. If they're, uh, yes, exactly. If they're honest. And, and we're, we're Brian, I'm going to go a little over. I'm sorry. I love you, but I got a couple things. So <laughs> the, here's here's one of the things that, you know, I absolutely, it, it's something about you that's that's so incredible is you don't hold grudges and you don't have no. res- resentment. And, and, and here's what I want to talk about too. You know, support's a two-way street. Yeah. And, you know, even with, with me, like I, I, at the end of the day, if I'm, I support Katie Sweeney, that means I support AIM. And so for me, it was so important to make sure I was at all these events, right? Yeah. Now, not just for me, but also for AIM, also yep. for you, because of, of, again, I'm asking you for help on stuff. And if you ask me for, who am I to say, Katie, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Yeah. You're, you're, you're literally saying, okay, John, no problem, Jonathan. I will, I'll help you with X, Y, Z. But if you reach out to me and ask me for, John, hey, can you come to DC? Hey, can you do X, Y, Z? Do you mind doing this? Do you who am I like to say no to that? That's ignorant. I'm not, that's naive. That's such an ignorant thing to do to somebody. And so it's like you've built those establishments and relationships because people trust you and you're so like forthcoming and you're so honest. But I also know you don't hold resentment. And the yeah. reason I'm bringing that up for you is because you talked about it. You said you have 10% of what, you know, the the mortgage broker, the what they have, yep. MBA has 10% of it. Yet you have 65,000 members on there. And then you had people that didn't trust or didn't think you were going to make it yeah and now those same people and i know and we don't have to say any names but they're they're coming back <laughs> yeah and they're t- wanting to talk to you and you're taking and talking to those meetings and you're taking them yeah and you're saying no problem no pro- even though even though they looked you in the eye and said this is going to fail this is not going to do well you're not the right person for it now here they are a couple years later saying katie can we talk about a partnership maybe yeah can we t-? and you're saying yeah where on earth did that <laughs> kindness come from? Not just kindness. You know, I don't want people to mistake that. Kindness is a beautiful thing as long as it's, you know, not taken advantage of. Yeah. But for you to let that go and say, hey, for the greater good, this might be something I need to do. Where did that even come from for you to even let something go like that and have conversations with people that doubted you and were constantly bashing the, the company and the growth? Yeah. I So I find myself to be a lot more defensive of the people who I care about than I am myself. And that's not always a good thing, right? Like you talk about my family, I'll fight you. Yeah. Like there's no, I'll hold a grudge. That's <laughs> yeah. not, we're not going to do that. Correct. But um, I just, I feel like, it, especially in the world that we live in today, and like you said, we're very similar ages. We grew up seeing, grow, grew up seeing all the same stuff. Um, it's, everybody is so quick 
to take one mistake and decide that that person doesn't matter anymore or that they're worthless. And we just throw people to the side left and right because of something they said or something they did or a thought that they had. And we don't give anybody the chance to grow. And if you don't have the chance to learn, then how can you call like if I'm not giving you the chance to learn and to see that we are doing good things and that we've built a great program and that we're worth participating with and engaging with and supporting, then I'm not any better than you are. I decided when you decided that we're not going to be a good fit and I didn't give you a chance to change your mind. Or I tell people this all the time. Two things can exist at the same time. There can be two truths and they might seem like they're conflicting, but two things can exist. And while I don't love that you didn't give me a shot, I also would look at myself and say, I hadn't earned it yet. You clearly didn't know me well enough to know what I could do or what I could bring to the table. That's okay. I'll give you a chance to learn. I'll show you what we can do. I've always been a big believer in like prove it first, get rewarded second. I'm I just don't buy into the trope that I think is becoming very popular now that like to get a raise or get a promotion, you ask for it first and then you show how you can do the job second. No, do the job first and then you'll get what's coming to you. It will all come out in the wash. You will get the the respect that you deserve. Um, and that's the approach that I've taken with AIM. I knew that there were a lot of people that looked at it and said, I don't know who that girl is. I don't know what she can do. She's never been a loan officer. She's only worked out a lot. Like at the time, I'd only been in mortgage for three years when I took it over. I've only been it, well, what? I was 26. So yeah, six, seven, it'll be seven years this year that I've been in the industry. That's not, I mean, three years ago when I took AIM over, I was four years in. And there were a lot of people that were like, what the hell? Like, how is she the one that's going to figure this out? And I think there were probably some people who thought I was going to be the scapegoat and like, oh, yeah, we'll let her take this over. It's going to fail. And then we'll circle back and be the saviors later. And I looked at it the same way I looked at that job at Pacific Union. And I was like, all right, well, let's figure it out. Like, this is going to be a fun ride. Let's figure out how to solve a problem that people think is unsolvable. You want to talk about the things that get me to my core? Give me a problem that people say you can't fix. I will find a way to fix it. Um, but I think you have to have grace in what you do. And I think grace is a thing that people look at as a, a weak quality. We promote this concept of leadership that's so tough and so t like you have to be up at 4 a.m. every day and you have to grind it out. And you have to do. Oh, well, that's great. But you also have to be graceful because there are a lot of really great people that have their own misconceptions or their own backgrounds that lead them to follow a certain path when they haven't been given an opportunity to see other opinions or other perspectives. And you don't grow that way. And I think there's so many good people, if given the opportunity to grow, could do great things. And that that's the thing that makes me more excited than anything. I want to look back in 20 years. I want AIM to be successful. Absolutely. I'm this. I get up every single day to work for the broker community because I truly believe they are the best people to help people get into homes. But my life motto is to help people help more people. I know we can do so much more good in the world if we can help other people who want to do good as well, and then they go help other people. I can only reach so many people as one person, but if we create this network and this web that is good people that are connected with one another, that are helping each other figure out how to grow and expand, then we're reaching so much more people exponentially, but you have to have a chance to grow and expand. Because if I don't give you that chance, 
all those people that depend on you are now being cut off from something yes. that could be really good. That's not mine to hold to myself. That's not mine to make the decision on whether you deserve that opportunity or not. You need to earn it. I'm not going to give it to you. And I'm certainly not somebody that's going to get walked all over. Correct. But I'll give you a second chance. I, it's, okay, it's all sports analogies to me. Three strikes and you're out. Yeah. You know, screw like three different times if you prove that you don't deserve or you're not entitled to or you're not willing to earn somebody's time and respect, Disconnect. then we're good. Okay. Call it a day. It didn't work out. We gave it a good a good run and that's fine. But three time three opportunities over a lifetime, that's not that many no. to give people a chance, right? And if they show you that there's something different or you need to approach it cautiously because of things, I'm not saying you shouldn't learn from past experiences with people, but a lot of what you're referencing were people just didn't know me and they don't know anything about me and they had never worked with me and they'd never been a part of one of my teams. And I... I think everybody deserves a shot to circle around and say, okay, this isn't what I expected it to be. And now I'm interested. Great. Let's have a chat. That is so, so good. Um, you know, one of the things too, that I absolutely loved, you talked about like the leadership and the journey. And I've, I've been on this journey for 10 years, you know, coming up on, and I'll never forget, you know, early on in my career, my teams always did very well. I mean, very, very well, but I was never the guy that was like, by injection leadership, you yeah. know what I mean? Where it's like, here's a needle. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a yeller, I'm not, Same. I'm, I'm compassionate, I'm empathetic. I That's how I always love to lead. And I remember, even though my teams did well, I'm getting roasted by, <laughs> by and listen, there are sometimes rightfully so, I should get roasted, all right? <laughs> Especially early on, young, young me was like that. But I'm getting roasted, getting, and I'm like, God, I'm struggling, like, I don't wanna do that, I don't wanna do this. And I'll never forget my mentor, you know, he said to me, he said, John, what's wrong? And I told him the story, and he said, John, just because you don't do it their way doesn't mean your way is wrong. Exactly. Exactly. And it hit me, and it hit me so hard, and I was like, "Wait, he's right." And I, I'm now I was comfortable. Hey, listen, guys, I hear what you're saying, but I'm getting the results. Yeah. Is there a reason why I should shift what I'm doing? Like, can you walk me through why I would shift it if I'm getting the results you're asking me to get? And when I started asking that question, I gained so much more confidence in yeah. myself because I'm like, "Wait a second, I'm I'm a badass." Like. I'm very good at this. People love me. My team loves me. They want to work for me. My team works the weekends. We worked every Sunday for three years. Yeah. My team worked every Sunday for three years. Even the veterans, I had people that were in the industry 15 years coming in on Sundays that never worked the weekends. And then they, and then people started asking me, hey, how do you get them in on the weekend? Yeah. I'm like, wait a second. Weren't you just ripping me apart? Exactly. So that's that's amazing. And um, listen, I want to end it with this. Same question I ask everybody every single time. Yeah. And especially you with your journey. You're looking at your, your, let's call it 18, 19, 20-year-old self, all right? Sports broadcast. Yeah. Trying to figure out. And, and now you get to see her. And you look at her and you see her getting ready to, to, to either play a game or to go uh, and do a broadcast or anything of that nature. And before she goes, you get to give her a few words of advice. What would you tell her? Lean into who you are. Mm -hmm. I think it's really... It's so easy, especially now in the days of digital media and how much ac quick access people have to information. There, talking about it with leadership, there's so many notions of who you should be or how you should act or the way that you're going to push something forward or how you define being successful. Um, but not all of those things are going to resonate with your personality and your strengths. And if you can be self-aware. I think self-awareness is the greatest tool anybody can have. If you can harness and learn one thing, it's self-awareness. And it's not just 
what are your strengths? It's also what are your limitations? And more than that, what are the things that you just don't care about, that you're not interested in? Don't force yourself to go down a path of spending time working on something that you have no interest in at all. Surround yourself with people who do. And if you can own who you are and you can lean into it and you can accept the things that resonate with your soul and what's going to get you up in the morning and the way that you want to communicate with other people and the way that you feel the most comfortable communicating with other people, it doesn't mean you can't learn new skills and push yourself, but you can't learn a new skill if you don't know that it's needed. And so the, the more self-aware that you are, the more opportunity you have to define success for yourself. And I think I certainly struggled with that. I think a lot of young women in general struggle with like, all right, there's this idea, this picture perfect person. And if I'm going to be successful and if I'm going to be you know, the only female on the executive team at a business, this is how I have to act. This is what I have to wear. This is how I have to talk. Well, why? Just because that's how it was done before doesn't mean that's how it has to be done going forward. And if you can be self-aware and you can lean in and own the things that you're great at, but also own the things that you're not great at, right? Your weaknesses are the things that your enemies are going to try to come after. But if you call them out before they do, mm. what is there to come after? Like, yeah, I know that that's a weakness. That's why I hired this person because they're good at it and I'm not. I know that I'm not going to be a great fill in the blank. Okay, go find somebody who is or go to an industry or lean into a role that doesn't require you to flex that muscle all the time because it's not something that you enjoy. But all of those things, all of those things start with being is hyper self-aware as you possibly can be and not being afraid of it. If you're not afraid of looking in the mirror and being able to say, this is who I am, this is what I like, this is what I don't like, this is what I'm good at, this is what I'm good at that I don't like, this is what I love to do, but I actually really suck at it. Okay, great. Okay. All of those things are good things to know. Then you can really lean in on who you are and who you want to be and how you want to define success over time. That's where the confidence comes from, right? Because when you know that about yourself and you know where you want to focus and what you want to do and why you're going to be good at it because you're so self-aware, the confidence follows. Even if that's not how you are naturally, it, it will come because you know that it's true. You know that what you're saying is a fact because it's about yourself. My God, thank you so much. Seriously, thank you so much for, for being on here, being so vulnerable, yeah. sharing your story, just being so transparent and honest and real with people because people... We, we all like to fake, you know, that it's all been an easy journey. Yeah. It has not no. been. And I know it hasn't <laughs> been for you and it hasn't been for me. And, and you know, I, I, I will say this to, to, to everybody, you know, at home, you know, young man, young, young women, regardless, lean into who you are. Uh, don't be afraid of consequences and don't be afraid to tell people what you want to do. It's okay to be vulnerable. I promise you, because worst case is if you don't get there, you hopefully, hopefully you have people in your corner that you trust that'll help propel you forward even if you don't get to where you need to be. But if you don't tell them, they don't know that they need to help you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Early Birds Podcast. I appreciate you all and I hope you have the most incredible day. Take care.